Welcome to Brain Chat with the Nerdy Neurologist. I'm Dr. Mitzi Joy Williams, and I'm your board-certified neurologist and MS specialist. My mission is to engage, educate, and empower those affected by MS to become an active part of their healthcare team. Here on Brain Chat, we'll be talking all things MS, health and wellness, advocacy, and we'll throw a little bit of music and music therapy in there as well. Thank you so much for joining us, and stay tuned for the next episode. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Brain Chat with the Nerdy Neurologist. I am Dr. Mitzi Joy Williams. I'm your board-certified neurologist and MS specialist, and I am so excited to talk to you guys tonight. We have some super, super, super duper friends of mine, and we're going to talk about one of my favorite topics, health equity. Tonight, we have uh, Garen Wilson and we have Quita Highsmith. So Garen is a clinical pharmacist and award-winning biotechnology enterprise leader. Say that three times fast. And he's got a great understanding about patient care, healthcare disparities, um, and biopharmaceutical enterprise leadership. So he is working at Genentech and he is currently um, working, uh, leading the inclusion strategy and partnering within Genentech's um, Chief Diversity Office. And so he basically is responsible for leading the design and activation of the diversity and inclusion strategy and fostering belonging, advancing inclusive research and health equity, and transforming society. I love it. Okay. So we are transforming society tonight. All right. And Quita Highsmith is the Vice President and Chief Diversity Officer at Genentech. Um, she is co-offered authored multiple publications in prestigious journals, um, including cancer journals focused on racial and ethnic minorities, as well as the medically underserved, which you all know is very near and dear to my heart. Um, she is a, a well-known in the biotech industry and has won multiple awards, including the Trailblazer Award from LEAD360, and she was named Top 100 Diversity Officers by the National Diversity Council. So we are going to have an awesome discussion tonight. You know, I, guys, I like like to keep it conversational. All right. So next up to the stage, let's talk to Quita and Garen. All right. Awesome. Welcome to Brain Chat, guys. Hi, Mitzi, Dr. Williams. <laughs> So, so excited to have two of my amazing esteemed colleagues. I've been so fortunate to work with you guys over the past couple of years on some of the amazing work you're doing in the diversity and inclusion space. And I just like to bring attention where, you know, great work is being done. So why don't you all, I know I did a brief introduction, but why don't you tell us each, each of you tell us a little bit about what you're doing in the diversity and inclusion space. So tell the, tell the people about yourselves a little bit. All right. Well, I'll go first. Uh, like you said, I'm Pia Heisman, Vice President, Chief Diversity Officer at Genentech. And for those that don't know, Genentech is considered the founder of the biotech industry 45 years ago. And so, you know, we have a responsibility to lead. And one of the things, we, and I just know Miss before I was the Chief Diversity Officer, um, one of the things that was a game-changing moment for me in this health equity space was when I was leading... Uh, advocacy relations. So this is working with patient advocates. Um, we were doing a, a summit and it was just going to be um, about various patients who had participated in clinical research. And I could not find 
Not one. We had a full day of patients that were going to be coming through, talking to the Genentech audience, and I could not find one patient of color that had actually participated in a clinical research. And, and then I started to ask them questions. Well, why is that? And that led me and a colleague, um, Nicole, to to found Advancing Inclusive Research, which is Genentech's initiative to address barriers into clinical research and health equity. Um, and I think that it is important for people to understand the value of participating in clinical research for people of color um, so that we know that these medicines are safe and effective for us. And so it's super important um, if you have the opportunity to participate. So, uh Hi, good evening, everyone. I am Darren Wilson. I am head of inclusion strategy and partnering within the Chief Diversity Office. Uh, Quita Highsmith is is my boss, and my boss. <laughs> and she's a boss. She's my boss, boss. lady. The she's boss, a, and she's the boss and a boss. So any permutation that you want to take with that uh, with that title, it it fits and it applies. Uh, happy to be on the panel and, and on the uh, line with you, Dr. Mitzi Williams. Uh, I am a, a big fan and admirer of your work and have seen it in a lot of different forms, shape, forms, and fashions. And so you continue to do your thing and excel and glad to be in conversation with the both of you. Uh, so I, I have been working within the Chief Diversity Office for the past year and a half and longer than that with, with Quita as we've um, really built up the focus that Quita just talked about with advancing inclusive research at Genentech. It's really, I think, at the heart of it is just making sure that all patient communities have access to the best that healthcare has to offer. And we are two, you know, witnesses, people who are working within a large biotech company. You know, we see the scale of innovation, how much money we're pouring into research and development to create the medicines and create the type of healthcare that we can all be really excited about. As we as we go forward, you know, excited about now and excited about the future, what the future has to offer. And so, you know, I think as a part of that type of commitment and that focus, we have to make sure that all patients can benefit from the advances that we hope to bring forward in technology, what we're bringing forward in the multiple sclerosis space now, and then what we're you know hope to you know bring forward to a whole host of serious and life threatening illnesses. And we're doing a lot of powerful things. We're really combining technology, data, analytics, the ability to just take a lot of different types of data and information from patients, organize it in a certain way, use computers to really you know, analyze that data so that we can make better decisions. If you were to get sick, if I were to get sick, if anybody gets sick with something serious, we are starting to do some really powerful things with that and it's exciting. And we really wanna make sure that all patients benefit. And so that's really part of the charge that, that I've been really passionate about in my time working with the team on advancing inclusive research. I've loved having the opportunity to be on platforms like this, to be in discussion with thought leaders such as, as Dr. Williams and others within our external council for inclusive research. When I came on board, uh, really we were launching the external council for advancing inclusive research, which is the creme de la creme of thought leadership in oncology and ophthalmology and neuroscience. I, I use creme de la creme because it's, it's dinner time for some people. So if you're eating like a dessert and the filling I you, just you want, <laughs> you just have to dessert. So, I mean, we know what the best part of, of the dessert is, is the filling. And we we essentially like replicated that for thought leadership in medicine and uh, and got a chance to, to really learn from the external counsel. They've helped shape and create 
you know, what we do in the organization and, and they're holding us accountable for driving change. So as I mentioned, that we all have access to the best that healthcare has to offer. And, and so I'm, I'm glad to be a part of conversations like this and to answer any questions that people may have about, you know, what that entails and what we're trying to do. Awesome. Awesome sauce. Okay. So two words kind of stuck out to me. So I'm going to rewind and go back to what Quita said. There was a word that you said, Quita, um, that really stuck out to me, and that is responsibility. So one of the things that I think is really important to highlight is that each of us has a role to play in improving health outcomes, right? You know, I think the the kicker for me was when I was practicing, you know, four or five years ago, I was working at this big MS center, loved what I was doing, loved treating patients, but I was giving all these talks about MS and underserved populations. And it was actually at a conference where I sat and talked with both of you before, you know, all of this work got started with the council and all of that. And I gave this talk and it, you know, went really well. I guess it went well. People told me I did well. And so I remember flying home and saying to myself, I've been giving the same talk for 10 years and nothing has changed, right? And so that's what kind of led me on this journey, a really unexpected journey uh, to start working in the health equity space. Because, I mean, if you had asked me 15 years ago what I'd be doing, I'd be like, man, I go to work, go to clinic, come home and feed my kids a peanut butter jelly sandwich and call it a day, like none of this, like podcast, all of this stuff. So it really kind of ignited this passion in me. Um, to try to see how I could help be an agent for change. But what I realized when I started doing the work, as I'm sure you guys did too, is that there are things that each party has to play from an institutional standpoint, like at our academic institutions and our clinics. How are we making sure that we're inclusive and that we are um, you know, letting people's concerns be heard and not downplaying them, which can affect outcomes? And then the piece that I think is also really important is to realize from an industry perspective that there also is a responsibility to do things that we can to affect change, because if we keep doing the same thing, we'll get the same results. So let's talk a little bit. Let's pause here and talk a little bit about that responsibility. So what does that look like, right? Because when people think of, you know, uh, pharma companies, they think about medications, but they don't think about kind of the trial process and kind of the roles that are played in helping affect the trials and making them more inclusive and how it really can be a place or is a place that can char- lead the charge in terms of increasing health equity. Yeah. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll jump in here because when we first started this work on advancing inclusive research, it was met with resistance, right? When, because I was not in the research, on the research team. So, a couple, you know, a number of people was like, Q, you need to stand down. You're not in development. You don't know about research. And I'm like, you're right. I'm not in development. But what I do know is what's going on with 90% of the patients in these clinical trials being white. And even though that is not representative of the disease, I know we need to fix this and we need to get on the right side of history. So I do know that all of us has, have a responsibility to raise our hand. Um, and you can do that from any seat that you're in when you see mm-hmm. something that is not right. And then I think we have to think about once we do that, um, how do we help organizations understand that this is part of the business rationale, right? We all know that the population, not only in the U.S., is increasingly going to be representative of people of color, but Africa is growing from 15% of the world's population to 25% in two decades. And so 
we do have a responsibility as an industry to really reach out to communities of color. And there's a lot of fake news in this. Um, well, people of color don't want to participate in clinical trials. Well, I know that's not true. Now, while there have been some incidents, Henrietta Lacks, Tuskegee, if you ask people, are you interested the majority of the people will say yes, but they have to be asked and so many times. We don't even get the opportunity to say yes or no. So we've got to first ensure that every patient that is interested in participating gets that chance. And then we have to make sure that the investigators are sensitive to the patients that they are trying to recruit like and take their own biases out of the mix because I personally have participated in clinical research and I can tell you the the bias that I felt made me say I'm not interested and and luckily um um I knew the CEO of the company that was doing the trial so I told on that company and let me tell you they changed their whole attitude um but we I also bet they have, did. <laughs> we also have to be doing research in the neighborhood it's one thing to be going to the academic center it's another thing to go to the hospital that's in the, your neighborhood that you drive by every day that you've seen year after year we have to be mindful of where we're doing research at because that's the place where people trust and so i think we do have a responsibility to ensure that patients of color are participating, that we're partnering with sites where communities live, and that we're really thinking holistically about how we engage in the process, how we are educating so people are not afraid to participate but want to. Absolutely. And I think that's so key, um, you know, especially for underserved populations, but for everyone, you know, I think that there is a lot of um, mistrust of science in general now. And so we have to make sure that everybody has that opportunity, as you said, to participate. Anything you want to add to that, Garen? Yeah, no, I think that was um, powerfully stated. And, you know, as a someone who is bearing witness to some of this change, I, I think I, I just... I have to commend Quita for the, the leadership, courage, and the conviction to really be, you know, the, the sharp tip of the spear on this and really cutting through how our organization sets priorities and uh, ensures that, that all patients can benefit from the things that we do. I mean, we talked about some of the stats that exist. I mean, if you just look at the complexion of disease, it's changing. You know, by 2030, new cancer cases will increase by 80% in low and middle income countries. By 2040, over half the patients living with Alzheimer's in the U.S. will be Black or Hispanic. If you look at breast cancer incidents, by 2045, they're expected to increase significantly in Black, Latino, and Asian patients. And by 2050, Alzheimer's cases will quadruple in China and account for over half the cases worldwide. So as an organization that really is about, you know, doing now what patients need next and having a long view on this, the priorities that we set now and that we hold ourselves accountable to now will allow us to develop solutions for patients that are coming, patients that exist now and the patients yeah. that are coming. People are, yeah. are really experiencing and having a tough time with disease, as you can imagine. I mean, these are, these are very serious conditions. And so we want to provide benefit. And I think one way that we know that's a really clear path to high quality medical care is in the research setting. So we have to do more to make people have access to it. Absolutely. Um, you know, and, uh, you know, it's so... Uh 
great that you said that. Let's talk a little bit about personalized medicine. I'm going to throw this one at you, Gary, because I know that that's something that um, you do a lot of work with. Let's talk a little bit about personalized medicine, right? This this idea of being able to come up with an individual plan for the person that's sitting in front of us and how it's so important for us to have that diversity of people in our research so that we understand how to create those plans for each individual person. Yeah, it's, it's a great question, something I am really excited about. I mean, I think the, for the people that are tuning into this conversation, I'm sure you're looking at this either on your computer or you have your, your cell phone handy. Like these tools have the ability to just capture so much about our lived experience. Like what is going on with us in a day-to-day, you know, at a day-to-day, you know, our, you know, the apps that are available on your phone can capture and track how you experience multiple sclerosis, as an example. What type of symptoms do you have and what things trigger those symptoms? And you can capture those those symptoms on your phone and that information can be made available to your physician who can have a more, uh, a better understanding of people's day-to-day experience with disease. So you take that, you take the ability for us to just be smarter about how we track our experience with disease and you combine it with uh, the ability to, you know, just analyze large chunks of data from all other patients that experience disease. Some people who may look like you, some people who don't look like you, but maybe the one commonality is that they have multiple sclerosis. And so when we have that, and we have that ability to look at everyone's experience with disease and understand it both at a, you know, at a history level, talking to your doctor, you know, doing some diagnostics, doing tests to evaluate a patient's situation, and also combining that with the information that patients share with us and what the, in the things that we can observe in you know, treating patients, we can come up with a really personalized view of a patient's experience with disease. And once we have that personalized view, physicians such as yourself, Dr. Williams, can make better decisions, smarter decisions. You can adjust medications differently. You can run different tests to understand why a patient may be having a certain complication. And when you have that ability to make you know, very targeted specific recommendations for a patient, it ultimately results in better care. You know, a patient's right. experience with disease is better. Their relationship with the medicines that they take and when medicines make them feel a certain way or don't make them feel a certain way, those things can be adjusted real time. So that's something that I think we are focused on investing and in designing and putting out at scale. We want this to be across multiple sclerosis, oncology, all these very serious conditions that, you know, we that we experience within our community. And we want to make sure that doctors ultimately can make better decisions when patients present present with, with, with complications. And so personalized healthcare is something that is on the horizon. You know, some of these examples that I've just shared are, you know, experiments that we're, you know, piloting right now, things that Dr. Williams, you've been a part of and others like you. Um, and, and so I think that's something that we should all really be excited about. But in order for us to really fully benefit from that, we have to be a part of the research environment now. Right. There's all the evidence that we are aggregating and combining and to look at a patient, person's experience with disease. That's the one thing that research offers. It's a way to just kind of monitor a patient closely over time, you know, see them more regularly than you would typically see them, collect more information about that person than their experience with disease. All of those are the conditions that the design of personalized healthcare are built on. And something that we need to be a part of now so that and our parents, our grandparents, aunts, uncles, cousins, all of us need to be in the mix right now so that these tools and this innovation applies to us five years from now, two years from now, a year from now. 
Um, so it's something I'm really passionate about and I almost view myself in some ways as a, you know, evangelist for this particular topic, because I want us to have a different kind of conversation about healthcare at home, within our families, talking to people right. about, you know, what's possible now, what's possible later, so that we can think differently about how we interact with the healthcare system and how we talk to our doctors and how we advocate for the best that healthcare has to offer. You know, let, let me jump in here, though. Jump so, in. So, so for the audience, so just so y'all understand what he's talking about, where he's saying, you know, that the healthcare that you want for the future. Right now, when we started this work in 2017, um, 80% of the genomic data available to the scientists were of European ancestry. Fast forward mm -hmm. to right now, it has jumped to 90% of the data available to scientists is of European ancestry. And so what does that mean? That means the algorithm that the hospital is going to use to tell you if you have breast cancer and treat your breast cancer is going to be based 90% on white women. And so if we don't begin to participate in the clinical work and allow our genetics to be tested, then we're going to be getting information that is not based or built upon us. And the system is moving towards artificial intelligence and it is incumbent upon us to participate. But we have to talk about some realities. The realities are patients of color, and we've seen it with COVID. We don't have the same ability to have healthcare. Now, oftentimes, not affordable. And so if you got great insurance, then life is better for you. But what if you don't? And we know right. historically marginalized patients don't necessarily have access. They have high co-pays. They might not have access to the medical benefits because the jobs that they have, right, are fresh food, are live in a neighborhood where the doctor ain't on the corner and you can run in, right? So we do have to really think about the systemic issues in healthcare that are preventing us from um, being able to participate in the fancy stuff like personalized healthcare. And we must better train these physicians and healthcare workers to address their own biases um, on people of color, or we will not be able to move forward. Right. Absolutely. And I think, you know, it's so important to talk about these issues. And I see um, some questions in the comments that are asking kind of what this show is about multiple sclerosis, but it also, in some cases, is also about health equity, right? Because one of the issues that we have with multiple sclerosis is that most of our clinical trials are conducted in Eastern Europe. Um, we're learning more that the face of MS looks different in different populations. And here in the U.S., we know the risk is highest in Black women. We know that the outcomes are worse. And so we have to begin to understand that. There are also other populations that we don't understand well with multiple sclerosis, such as people over the age of 55, which is not old, right? But concerning our clinical trials, most of them stop at age 55. We also don't understand about pediatrics, but we have to start somewhere. And I think that this conversation is so important because it really affects everyone. So if you look at a group who may be doing worse, maybe if we had that genomic or genetics data, we would identify some type of gene that, I, that can tell us who is doing worse. But until we get that information and until we get more people involved, we won't really be able to affect our outcomes and affecting one group's outcomes really improves everybody's outcomes, you know, and it's so important, you know, because we like to 
kind of take these topics and kind of split them up and talk about this, but they're all connected, right? Um, and so when we improve the, the health of one, we improve the health of all. And so I just wanted to pause and say that was extremely important because I saw um, there were some comments that seemed they were a little bit confused about what we were talking about. Um, but yeah, so back to what you were saying, Quita. So this is so key, right? Um, because you know, I think that it's imperative upon us um, as, you know, participants in the medical system to also stand up and be counted, right? I look at research as a way of standing up and being counted. And I guess I always had a heart for research. As a kid, we used to do market research. I don't know if you guys used to do that, but listen, I was down trying on jeans. I was drinking different types of Coca-Cola. You know, I was always, every time I was in college and I needed some money, I would put those, pull those little tabs with the phone number and call and say, can I be in your study? You know, I had different motivations, but I guess I've always been a part of that process. Um, but I think that, you know, we have to have these conversations and look at ways that we can affect change so that we can affect the healthcare system for everybody, you know? So, um, so anyway, I just wanted to pause and get on that little soapbox. Now I'm gonna get off my soapbox. Um, but yeah, but so this is, this is a great conversation, right? And I think, again, it's so important. And I liked what you were saying, Garen, about personalized medicine, right? Our idea, what I would love to be able to see my patient do some type of test and say, hey, this is the best treatment for your MS. Or if they're on a treatment for their MS, be able to test this marker and say, ah, it doesn't look like you're responding. We need to switch it up and do this, right? So that that ultimately would be the goal. Because one thing that we do know about MS is that it's not a one-size-fits-all. Everybody is so different. And for us to have these tools, we really have to have more diversity in our clinical research and have people participating. So let's kind of talk about kind of what are some of the ways that we can overcome these challenges. One thing that I love to talk about and highlight is the CHIMES trial. So um, I'm the lead investigator for the CHIMES trial which is a trial uh, sponsored by Genentech, but it's with Ocrevus, one of our approved medications for multiple sclerosis. And it's the first phase four clinical trial that's focused on minority populations. And again, you know, in it's important for us to have- In 2021. In 2020, right. In 2021. Right. Right. You know, so, you know, you know, I am hopeful that we see some of these things changing, but it has been a long time coming. Um, you know, but so you hadn't had that idea. Right. You hadn't had that idea. We would not be doing this study. Right. And so that is one of the most important things as well for the audience to understand is we have to somehow get our children, the next generation to become a black physician, right? We have got to have more physicians of color because then they will see something like that and say, I've noticed that my patients present um, differently with more severe disease and what can I do about it, right? Versus doing nothing. So it's important that we are building a pipeline of uh, physicians of color and scientists of color. So important. Absolutely. And actually, it's very interesting because at one of our most recent conferences, there was a, a poster about the medication that's in our trial that suggested there were maybe some differences in how quickly the medication may be metabolized or get out of the system in people who were Black. So does that mean we need to adjust the dosing? But if we didn't start to look at these things and we didn't start to have more inclusive research, then we wouldn't be able to, you know, say, oh, okay, well, we see this difference here. Let's explore this or let's investigate 
this a little bit more to see if maybe there are adjustments that need to be made. Um, so, you know, there's, and so what are some other um, ways or what are some other things that we can do or that you guys are working on to try to overcome some of these challenges? Because, I mean, you guys are really a great, you know, Genentech has been a really great example of kind of leading the charge in this, in this space. Yeah, maybe I'll, I'll jump in on that. I think uh, I'll even keep the, keep the conversation going on the CHIME study because um, Quita mentioned your role as a, as a leader in this study, primary you know, principal investigator, and was sitting at the, the front of the table when we all got together to talk about the design of this study. So I want to bring the audience into like kind of behind the curtain on what happened. Really, what you do is you bring a bunch of doctors together and you start kicking around the ideas like, what do we know about patients what do we know about, you know, the diseases and how it's different and what's our main question? What are we trying to find out that can help improve patients' outcomes, help them have a better experience with their disease, make a better medicine? Those are just some of the questions that are being discussed. And we had we had Dr. Williams at the head of the table and we had a patient uh, at the at the within that yeah. that ad board that was there. And then there was a bunch of other doctors from all different kinds of disciplines, you know, super sciencey. You know, I was just in there kind of just observing and admiring the level of detail people were going down on things. But suffice it to say, super high sciencey stuff. And but at the as the as you went through the course of that day, I think we we're in New York, if I'm not mistaken. Dr. Yes, Lee. we were. You mentioned shout out to whoever's from New York on the line. Uh, we were in New York. And by the end of that uh, presentation, most of the questions were actually being directed towards that patient who was in the room, was a black woman who had MS and had, you know, just a long experience with the disease. And, and she was almost holding court in that conversation wrong. These thought leaders from all over the country, flew in people from all over the place. And she was the one that was answering most of the questions. She was the one that all the physicians were directing questions to, like, you know, if we were to do this, do you think this would be meaningful? It would be some science related questions. She was able to handle that. It would be just general, you know, how would you be able to tolerate this type of test if we were to do a certain kind of yeah. test? Would you be able to handle it? And I think what that showed me, and I think it, it shows all of us, is that, you know, we have to have physicians from all the communities that we want to, you know, develop stuff for. And we have to have patients, you know, able to communicate their perspective and be a part of the research process. So having patients involved, getting them in when we are thinking through a, a study, getting them involved when we're thinking through, you know, how do we, you know, create value for patient communities? We have to make sure patients have a seat at the table and they have a voice and are empowered to use that voice and, and drive some decisions when we're there. So that, that's one important thing. And I think another piece that I'd add um, is just really being present in these type of forums. I think oftentimes what we found is that, you know, industry will have conversations among industry admiring this problem. Like, you know, we, need to help diversify clinical trials. And, you know, we talk around a bunch of people that, you know, look like us, sound like us, think like us, you know, kind of in our own echo chambers. And then right. uh, what I have found is that really the power where we can find the most solutions that are practical, they're pragmatic, they're just common sense, is when we show up at forums like this, when we show up at, you know, uh, you know there's other platforms that do community-based events. Us being present in those events you know, we get am amazing ideas. I was at an event that was uh, hosted at the Ohio State a couple of weeks ago. Same type of forum. We had some physicians, some black doctors who, you know, had positions of power and influence within the cancer center had created this community-based conversation. And we had a person from the local news that was on the panel. We had a person from the community organizer and, and, and 
That was the other kind of perspective that was offered there. And then we went on to breakout rooms. And when we were in those breakout rooms, people are like, have you guys thought about, you know, going to Clubhouse and bringing this conversation up at Clubhouse? That's a mm -hmm. form and a platform where people are having this type of discussion. You'll get some great ideas. You'll start to engage the community on, on this particular topic and really push health equity forward. So those are the type of, uh, think of practical tangible things that we should do as an organization beyond what, what Quita mentioned at, at the beginning, which is establish this as a priority from the, within the organization, set some real clear goals, hold the organization accountable, having an external counsel like you to, to keep us honest, to tell us what we need to do, but then also to, to keep us honest on, on the progress that we're stating that we're trying to make. And then really just getting out of our, getting out of our echo chambers and immersing ourselves within the people that we're trying to support and help. And I think those things start to move the needle and get the job done. Comment that one of the um, uh, one of the folks who logged in made a little bit earlier, and uh, she said that she's a member of a support group in Maryland, and they talked about different topics, including research. And the president encouraged people to participate, and it said you have to go directly to where the people are. And I think that's so important. I think the other thing that was so key in what you said, Garen, is that we have to talk to each other, right? You know. Um, one of the things that I loved about the design of the Chimes trial was that we had a patient advocate who was involved because we as researchers were like, oh, we should do this. We should do that. We should do this or we shouldn't do that or people aren't going to want to do this. And, you know, it's like talk to the people who are actually going to be involved and that can help shape the type of research we do. You know, when industry talks to the physicians, when the researchers talk to the, you know, uh, clinician scientists, all of us have to start talking to each other. And the other thing is we have to think outside the box, right? Right. You know, especially growing up in the, you know, in the medical field, you know, I'm not that old, but I got a little, crazy <laughs> here. you know, there's just you're always just kind of taught. This is the way you do it. You've got to do it this way. And if you don't do it this way, it's not valid. But how about we kind of break that box open? Because, again, we need different results. So let's go to where the people are. Let's look and see how we can reach maybe communities that aren't necessarily our large academic centers. How can we find yeah. researchers who are in the community? Um, who want to be involved in research but don't have all of the setup and maybe they need a little extra help or a little bit more support. How can we find people or how can we make trials easy for people to find, right? One of the things that Quita said earlier about people not being asked is extremely important. But the other thing, when we did a, a large survey with another group that I work with, the Minority Research Partnership Engagement Network, we found that many patients didn't know where to find out about research. So unless you were in one of those huge academic centers, you don't know where people are conducting research. You don't know where to find it. And you can go to, uh, you know, clinicaltrials.gov, but Lord have mercy, I have a hard time trying to read that. You know, is there something we can create where you can put in your zip code and put in your condition and then all the trials that are in your area pop up? Like, how can we use these tools that we have to our advantage so that we can make things more accessible to everyone? I, I do think that the NIH is doing something like that. Um, because mm -hmm. I did, had not signed up for this clinical trial. They reached out to me and called me up. Mm -hmm. So I was like, how do you get my name? Um, <laughs> they had said I had signed up me. for like the All of Us study. And mm -hmm. so somehow or another, they, they had a system to do that. But I think one of the things that you were bringing up about like reaching communities, the one thing that we have to do, and during this whole COVID um, I feel like we got to stop blaming patients of color. It's like, well, if they wasn't, this, if they didn't do that, right. you know, right. like, stop it. 
There are, right. We have to address these real concerns that people have, right. and we have to address systemic inequities. And I think one of the things that we have to be thinking about is how do we actively speak about the value of clinical research? And, and I'm going to give an example. This is not about clinical research, but when we were flying all the time, um, I signed up for CLEAR so I could get through the airport faster. And my husband was like, I'm not going to give the government my eye scan. I'm not going to give them my fingerprint. I was like, well, okay, I'm going to see you on the other side because I'll be in the lounge and you'll be right. Right. <laughs> right? So you can go through that long line if you, you want to. That long line and then you can be like, you know what? I'm going to do it because he saw the benefit. So we, he ended up doing it, right? But we have to teach people about the benefit right. of the value of why you should participate. And I think for us, we're thinking about how do we engage the community? And we know that for the community of color, it's the three Bs. It's the bishop. We're all at the church. It's the beauty shop. Luckily, I got my natural now, so I don't have to go so much. And it's the barbershop, right? But like, we got to go to where people are in the community and then speak about research and about opportunities that they have to participate. We got we got to go to where patients are because there is a lack of trust in the mm-hmm. healthcare Absolutely. And mm-hmm. I think the other thing to keep in mind is that there's more than one way to do research, right? So for some people... I mean, when we talk about distrust, you know, certainly there are things in the past, but there was a recent study I was reading that said that a lot of people have distrust because of what they experience today, right? So it's not like I'm thinking about Tuskegee. I'm thinking about when I went to the doctor last week and they didn't believe anything I said, right? So there's certainly many systemic issues that we need to address. But I think that, you know, with research, sometimes you just dip your toe in first, right? So maybe a registry, something that involves questionnaires, right? And you see the results of that and you see the benefit of that. Um, and then you say, oh, okay, well, well, that was kind of cool. Well, maybe let me try this exercise study. Okay, so exercise or this dietary study. And then maybe you work your way up, right? Um, but I think Absolutely. that there is a place for everyone to participate and help. Whether you decide to go into a clinical trial with a medication or not, there is still a place for everybody to to participate and to help expand the body of knowledge so that we can get to that goal of personalized healthcare. Yeah, I, I, I'm a believer that sharing is caring. And in this situation, it truly, you're caring for one another by sharing information about your own experience. And I think that that's something that we just generally, I think, struggle with within the Black community, just talking about our health, certain health conditions. I mean, I can think about my mom, like she's had experiences with certain things and she doesn't like she's not inclined to talk about it i think in some ways you know some people just feel like it's you know you don't want that kind of attention you don't want to you know put yourself out there in that way but i think when we have some of that kind of uh, apprehension about sharing what's going on and and you know in different ways like you you mentioned like a, a registry and i want you to talk about that a little bit actually yeah um, of course <laughs> um if you're not sharing simple things like in a registry that your experience, it, it can't benefit and can't provide care for the rest of us. And I think that's something that is, as we kind of continue to have this kind of conversation, I hope that we, you know, at least trust one another, trust when we're talking about these type of topics on our platforms and within our spaces that we can invest in and curate, that we start to create those conditions in that environment where people are more comfortable expressing themselves, talking about their health care, talking about their experience with diseases, and uh, for the benefit uh, of the broader broader community that may, you know, extract some benefit from that. So to, to that point, if you can, like what what excites you in MS? Because I've heard you talk about oh, registry yeah. trials. 
So, um, you know, tell us a little bit about. Yeah. Yeah. So there's so much exciting stuff going on in MS. Um, So certainly the CHIMES trial I'm super excited about. Um, But the National African-American MS Registry. So it has been a dream of mine for probably about 10 years to start a registry focused on African-Americans. We have many registries in MS. Um, Many of them are amazing and doing great work. Um, But because of my passion for underserved minorities um, and specifically to better understand MS in the Black population, I've always wanted to help create a registry. So the opportunity presented itself myself, Dr. Annette Okai, uh, who is in Dallas, Texas, Dr. Annette Howard, who's in Houston, Dr. Stan Cohen, who's in Portland, um, and our newest member, Dr. Dorlin Kimbrough, uh, joined on. He's at Duke. Um, And so we decided to come together and start this registry. And so we rolled out in September. We've got about close to 300 people enrolled. We're about to present results for our first 100 surveys. Um, And we're really trying to better understand some of the risk factors. Are people getting to care in time? We're also asking questions about research. And surprisingly enough, although many of the patients, the majority were seen by neurologists and specialty centers, majority of them have never participated in research and hadn't been asked. So there's a lot of work that needs to be done, even amongst those who are, you know, in the space and who are, I won't say woke, because that's kind of retired right now, but you know, (laughs) aware, right? Right. Um, So there's a lot of work that still needs to be done among people who are in the space and doing the work, you know, to make sure that we are offering, right? So it doesn't mean you have to do it, but at least you should be offered the opportunity and it should be explained to you so that you can make an informed decision whether or not you want to participate or not. So I'm excited about those things. Um, You know, I'm excited just about um, what I really see as a movement of patient advocates who are who are empowered, who are, you know, participating in the research process, other groups um, such as um, the Accelerated Cure Project, which is patient uh, uh, driven research, which is really a novel concept. But basically they do polls within their group with people living with MS and say, hey, what topics do you guys think are important? Because I, as a scientist, may say genomics and they may say, should I eat chocolate chip cookies or not? Right. That's what's important to me. And so, you know, we have to have this balance where we're also making sure that in our quest to get all this information, that we're also getting information that's valuable to improving people's everyday lives. And so, you know, I'm excited about projects that help us kind of balance those things so that, you know, we have the genomics and we also know about the cookies, you know, which don't go eat the cookies. Um, you know, but still, um, you know, so I'm excited about all of those things, but there's a lot of cool stuff going on in the MS space. Um, and there's a lot of progress that's been made, but we also are realizing we got a long way to go. So we got, we still got a lot of work that needs to be done. And uh, we're almost at the end of our time. Are there any questions that you guys have uh, specifically about research, involvement in research? Um, I see a couple of comments. This conversation is amazing. And if there were more Black doctors and scientists, I would feel more confident in the healthcare system as a Black woman. So I think that that's extremely... I think that that's extremely important, you know, so we do have to increase the diversity, not only of our trial participants, but of the people who are asking the questions and helping design and uh, create uh, the trial. So uh, we do have one question. Are we done? So on that point, go ahead. Yeah. While you cue that question up, I can recall when we had the external council meeting, 
and we were talking about chimes and, and we had the internal team come and present the study to you. And, you know, the, the council had, you know, was offering different opinions, different ways of thinking about whether or not this was the right thing to do, you know, it was going to require significant investment from our organization. And it was because we had you in the seat. And I, I recall directing the question to you, like, Mitzi, do you think we could get this done? Like, could we do this study? And like, are we ready to make it happen? And you were like, yes. And that's that's exactly to the point the, to the point that somebody is raising. Like, we need, you know, thought leaders like yourself who have the, you know, kind of that conviction, that confidence. You have your finger on the pulse of care. You know what's there to just sometimes it's just a simple, reassuring kind of thing. Yes, right. let's do the study. Right. Because otherwise, you mentioned this earlier, we're in our boxes and different companies are in their boxes. And, you know, as the companies get bigger, sometimes the boxes get smaller because mm -hmm. we are trying to kind of protect things or we don't want to rock the boat or we kind of have conservative practices that, you know, we feel like if, if you know, it's worked well in the past, we got to we just keep doing this. And I think across industry, uh, all the major kind of players, industry, healthcare providers, doctors, they put themselves in boxes. And I think in some ways this health equity challenge requires us to break out of these boxes because this mm -hmm. type of challenge has so many tentacles to other things in, in society that requires out of the box thinking. Yeah, I, I didn't intend to do that that little kind of twist at the end, but I, I think it, it applies. Well, I, I also think that we have to, the, we have to disrupt the systemic racism mm. that people from being able to get that advanced degree, right? Like, so we only right. got five generations of physicians that are in our families, right? We got maybe one. And so now how do we get the kids in our community um, to be interested in science, to say, mm -hmm. I can do it? And how do we sponsor them? Because it's a lot of money to potentially be, you know, eight, nine, 10, 11 years where you got to be paying to go to school. And so right. that is a high cost burden that uh, students have to bear. And we are not coming from generational wealth. So now we got to have all this loans and money that we've got to try to get. And that prevents us from potentially going. There's a statistic that says we haven't increased the number of black physicians in 30 years. Right. right? It's the same percentage. Black it's women make up 2% of the physician workforce. Yes, we have got to figure out how to disrupt that system and 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 stop asking the system to let us in, but demand to be let in. Right. Right. Absolutely. I think one of the cool things that I love about, you know, giving talks, whether it's at high schools or even I was asked to do a um, a segment for PBS for elementary school where I just sat and talked about what I did, you know, because, uh, you know, if you see someone that looks like you, then you consider yourself being able to aspire to do that thing. And I, I was on a panel one time or uh, one of my girlfriends was on a panel uh, at the um, National Minority Equality Forum. And we were kind of laughing and joking about how, you know, Atlanta, we kind of grew up in Wakanda, right? Because all of the professionals <laughs> in our neighborhood looked like me, like our dentist, my oral surgeon, my orthodontist, our lawyer, our, you know, accountant, you know, and so that really was something that spurred me to say, well, gosh, I can do that because I see all of these people who look like me who are doing this. And I think that we have to raise that awareness and yes. make people visible so they know that they can aspire to do the same things as well. Because your very presence creates possibility. 
Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Ooh, I like that. I'm going to write that down. I'm going to give you credit the first time, but the second time after that, I'm not going to give you any credit for that. Yeah, that, yeah, that, that was, that was, that's facts. That was brilliant. Yeah, that was that was good. That was good. That and, was good. and on that awareness piece, like now's the time mm-hmm. for us to be aware of how industry is responding. Like 2020 right. changed the circumstances. It changed it the Absolutely. priorities. So like the resources that, that industry is bringing to bear both in what we've been talking about research, but then also creating career paths for people yes. and science and medicine. You know, Genentech, we are doing our part. All of pharma is doing their part. Same thing with like just working like business relationships with industry. This is an $800 billion business. And Genentech, we're committing to give a hundred or a billion dollars, a billion dollars to diverse owned suppliers, people who, you know, can help make medicine, but people who can just deliver products and goods and services to our company. There's an opportunity yeah. for those that own those businesses. That's an industry-wide thing. Other companies are doing the same thing. So in terms of awareness, like there's a real clear opportunity for us to connect to this system in a different way, in a powerful way, creating more mm-hmm. future leaders in it. And um, so that's that's something that we all just need to be aware of. And, you know, for all the entrepreneurs out here making plans around. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So our time is winding down. I don't see a lot of questions. I see a lot of comments um, that uh, people enjoy the conversation. There was one question about, are we still enrolling in CHIMES? The answer to that is yes. Um, And the CHIMES study is listed on clinicaltrials.gov and also on gene.com. And so if people are interested, they can see what sites are um, enrolling if there's some of their area. I also saw someone who asked if there were sites in New York. The answer to that is yes. Um, You know, so I think that, you know, this has been a great conversation and I, I love to continue to have this conversation because I think that each time I have it, I learn something new, but also people potentially get something new from it. And kind of the things that I glean from our conversation and us talking about it are number one, we've got to disrupt, right? We've got to disrupt yeah. the system. The basic research needs to listen to the doctors. The industry needs to talk to the physicians. The physicians need to talk to the institutions. And so, and we all need to talk to the patients, right? The people who are, you know, going to be involved in these studies. And we need to also, if we want to increase diversity, reach people where they are, get out into the community and stop kind of sitting in our ivory towers, expecting everybody to come to us, but really to put our hands out there and and touch the people and, you know, explain to them the importance of getting involved in this work. So I hope that everyone is going to go find themselves some kind of survey or something. If you go to the, you know, to the market research and drink some Coca-Cola, do that, but get involved in some research preferably with MS, preferably with some conditions so that we can all um, make the care better for everyone. So um, I want to thank Quita and Garen, Dr. Garen Wilson and Quita Highsmith. You guys are amazing. I'll have to have you back to have this conversation again. Um, but I think that, um, you know, this, this is so important. This is important work. And now is the time to strike. And now is the time to get it done. Like the tide has definitely turned. There's a lot of focus on this area and there's a lot of work that needs to be done. And there are great people like you guys that are that are getting the work done. So thank you all so much for tuning in. Um, and uh, we will see you in two weeks on Brain Chat with the Nerdy Neurologist. Have a great night, everybody. Bye.